Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Hallelujah. Stand with me, if you will, this morning. Meet me in the book of Galatians, chapter number 5. Book of Galatians, chapter number 5. We will continue in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We'll be speaking about peace today. Amen. Galatians 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, meekness, rather, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Amen. Let's ask God to help us this morning. Once again, Lord, we come to you today. God, we open our word today and our Bibles. And in the same token that we do that, we open our hearts, God, to that word and the scriptures. God, they would enlighten us, help us, bring the spirit of revelation upon our hearts and minds this morning. God, speak to us, Lord, today through your word. We'll be grateful for it. God, will honor you and praise you, God, for what you do in this place. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm happy to have my Valentine here with me this morning since surgery. So grateful that she's able to be here. Amen today. Since the beginning of recorded history, the entire world has been at peace less than 8% of the time meaning that throughout history there has been, by and large, some type of war taking place for the most of time. Only less than 8% of the time have we been at peace. And in a study of a particular per periodical, it was discovered that in about 3,530 years of recorded history, only 286 years had saw or seen peace. And moreover, there were in that same period of time in excess of 8,000 peace treaties that were signed and broken by many nation leaders throughout the world. As a matter of fact, sometime back, the Gallup organization, they polled some Americans about their most important criteria for judging personal success. They apparently gave them a list of about 20 or 30 different options, and these were the results of those, of those lists that were given to them of 20 or 30 different options. This is what they deemed as important criteria for personal success. Number one, Good health came in first. Number two, an enjoyable job. Number three, a happy family. Number four, a good education. Number five, peace of mind. Number six, good friends. And coming then later, seven and, uh, and a little bit later, were the materialistic factors of our life. Unlimited money, a luxury car, expensive home. That was up on the list. And it's interesting to me that among the top five qualities of what people deemed as criteria for a successful life, peace of mind was among them. Years ago, and you still read it still in the paper, the column of Ann Landers receives, they say, tens and thousands of letters each month from people that's wanting to get some type of advice on various topics and when she was asked what her most common question was, she answered that people seemed to be afraid, seemed to be worried about something. She said they're afraid of losing their health, they're worried about their job, 
they, they filled out concerns about their family. People are whacked out, she says, about their neighbors or frustrated with their friends. She says there's a great preponderance of letters that describes relational ruptures and family friction. She said, in short, people are looking for peace but can't seem to find it. And so this morning it appears that society is very hard stretched for finding peace on earth as it would be or peace within themselves or peace with another individual or one of their peers and perhaps today their frustration comes from trying to find all these independent of Christ Jesus which Isaiah described in his book as being the prince of peace and yet I think we all understand the makeup of humanity to a certain degree just a little bit and that is at times we carry the attitude that if we can't do it then it can't be done right we can't do it it can't be done and I think sometimes that attitude many times has left various things undone in our lives because the reality was this we couldn't do it we couldn't accomplish it we couldn't garner or gather or produce if you will for our lessons purpose this morning our own peace peace on earth if you were to talk about it right now present day the idea the concept of peace on earth seems to be a very lofty idea not only that with the stats that I started with this morning it must have been a lofty idea for generations and generations because many have tried to reach peace on earth through war Many have tried to reach peace on earth through compromises and still yet again, even recently, over and over again within our government and in other people's governments in the world, they're trying to reach peace through agreements and through treaties. And so we constantly and continuously make failed and frail, might I say, attempts of achieving this peace on earth. Amen. But when we're trying to achieve this, then in our nation... And other nations today, we're trying to do it while we're constantly subtracting and isolating the Prince of Peace from the solution, from the equation. And so the world that we live in, you know this, hopefully you're not living somewhere in an isolated uh, home and you don't know what's going on, but in an effort today to not offend various religious uh, groups and religious representations, uh, even within our own United States, we shy away from as a nation endorsing the God of the Israelites above or beyond any other quote-unquote gods of other religions. Amen. But if it's peace that we're seeking, huh? If it's peace that we're seeking, then we must give attention to the Prince of Peace who the Scriptures record was God incarnate or God in flesh, God manifested in the flesh, God in Christ as the man Jesus Christ. It is whenever Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem's stable that the angel of the Lord that was accompanied by a great heavenly host, the Bible said, told the shepherds that were watching their flocks there by night, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Seemingly the only time that scripture records on earth peace, it was mentioned when God was on the earth in the form of a man. Christ Jesus you look through the scriptures the only time that it's made mention that there was peace on earth is whenever God came down to earth in the form of a man 
And yet he came down during dismal times. He came down into times of upheaval and distress and mayhem. The Jews were under the oppression of the Romans and before that the Greeks and the Medo-Persian, all that that we studied before, the Babylonians. And yet when God came down in the middle of everything that was a muck and a mess, the Bible says there was peace on earth. And what that tells you and I this morning is that we cannot go by the modern definition of peace whenever you're talking about the peace of God. Because the peace of God is not contingent on circumstances like we modernly define. The peace of God today for many is the absence of trouble. You've heard the saying before, but the peace of God is not the absence of trouble, amen, but it's the presence of God. And so when we understand then that there was peace on earth during a time of woe and thunder and oppression of the Jews, how could this be? Because peace is more than an idea. It's more than a concept. Peace is a person. Mm -hmm. Peace is a person. Christ came down. Amen. The Bible says of John 14 and verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace. Everyone say, My peace. I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. He said, Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In other words, Jesus makes a very point here to dif differentiate between what he called my peace and the peace that the world giveth. He said, there is a difference between my peace and the peace that the world would give. He says, the peace that I give unto my disciples is a peace that stands in stark contrast to the peace of the world. His peace became our peace. His peace became his disciples' peace. And this peace he was speaking about was being shared with his followers. Note when he's sharing my peace with them. He's sharing this on the night before his crucifixion. Now, who in their right mind has any type of peace to share before the night they're executed? Yet Christ is sharing his peace with his followers the night before his crucifixion. We think, man, preposterous, unbelievable. How in the world can this be? I mean, can there be a peace whenever death is pending over here in the background? Amen. Christ knew what was going to happen. He knew what was, he was facing and what was facilitated for him. How in the world could he offer another peace? Yet he extends this peace. My peace, he says, I give unto you on the night before I know I'm to fall into the hands of the cruel and be crucified on a tree. I think perhaps this is the concept of the idea that's relayed in all of this moment. And that is this, the peace that he wanted his disciples to have was the same peace that he was dependent on during the most difficult moment of his life. It was the peace that was his anchor during the most difficult point of his life. Folks, that is the peace of God. That is the peace of God. Amen. It's similar to what captains and sailors of submerged vessels call the cushion of the sea states that there was a submarine that was being tested in the deep waters as a part of this test. It had remained submerged beneath the surface for a long time. And while the submarine was submerged there for a lengthy set of time, there was a powerful storm that passed through the area causing a great deal of damage above ground. 
And whenever the submarine's test of being down there uh, had subsided and it returned back to its arbor, there was the head of the team that was evaluating the submarine and it asked the captain of the submarine, said, how did that terrible storm affect you? Captain looked the man a little bit surprised and he exclaimed to him, storm? He said, we didn't even know there was a storm. The reason for the captain's surprise was this, that his submarine had been so far beneath the ocean surface that it reached that area that they call the cushion of the sea. That although above there were storms and winds that was whipping the surface of the water and all of this was taking place, they were deep enough that it was having no impact or effect or not even stirring them. While everything above was in turmoil, and there was anxiety and panic all around and even damage. The submarine was below that and so much that it was not affected. It remained at peace, you might say, because it had reached that place of being in the cushion of the sea. Folks, I think we can all attest to this at least maybe once in our journey in this life and have experienced in this thing called life when perhaps there's been trepidations and mayhem and chaos and panic all around you, but somehow in those moments, maybe it's just been one time for you, you felt at rest. You felt like everything was going to be okay. You didn't feel like the end of the world was coming upon you and like your days were numbered or that life was going to crush in upon you. Although everything around you looked like that, you found a peace, if you will, in the midst of the storm. You found the cushion of the sea, so to speak. You found the peace in the midst of all the turbulence of life and all the trouble of life. Can someone say amen? In Acts number 12, we see this again. It may appear somewhat of an oddity when we read Acts 12, but Peter is in prison awaiting for his execution. And while he's waiting there for his execution for the next day, we understand the background of Scripture is this. James, the brother of John, has already been killed by Herod. His life has already been taken, and Herod plans on doing the same to Peter. But it's right now during the time of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so he's not going to do it during that time. But he's going to take Peter's life just as he had taken John's life. And this is what the Scripture records the night before Peter's execution in Scripture in Acts 12 and verse 6. The Bible says the same night, was Peter sleeping? Everybody say sleeping. sleeping. Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Again, we're wagging our head a little bit. This guy is dying tomorrow. He's chained with two soldiers at his side and he is asleep. Folks, I know people can't sleep because they got a test the next morning. Yep. We're talking about losing your life, and here Peter is between two soldiers asleep. This is very peculiar. This almost seems outrageous. I mean, how many? I mean, if you knew you was going to be taken to execution tomorrow, do you think you're going to have your best night of sleep tonight? And for that matter, look who we're dealing here with. Peter. Huh. Peter. I mean, before... Christ had, had shared with Peter and some of the disciples about how he said, Lord said, I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of those that's going to take my life. I'm going to be crucified. He told Peter that. And whenever Peter even just heard about that happening to his Lord, he said, be not so, Lord. It be far from you. Amen. 
And yet then whenever those events started to be carried out and they went to the garden, there was the prayer and all that taking place. When the people actually come to get his Lord, what does Peter do? He cuts off the ear of someone that's standing there that's trying to arrest the Lord. Amen. And it wasn't even Peter, the one that's being accosted, or the one that's going to be crucified, but he has this type of action. And we have this same person that reacted like that to somebody else's crucifixion, and now he's sleeping concerning his own crucifixion. But folks, we understand there's something that happened between the Peter back then and the Peter now that we read in Acts chapter number 12. Because I would like to say this, that the Peter now had met his cushion of the sea, so to speak, since the Peter then. See, he witnessed this phenomenon. He and a group of others found themselves on a sea, the Bible says. He witnessed this whole concept of the cushion of the sea whenever he himself was on the boat. And he was a fisherman, so he wasn't ignorant of storms. He wasn't ignorant of what could take place on the water. But they found themselves in a very perilous time upon the sea, the raging waves the Bible describes, the wind the Bible describes, the, the, the vessel that they are on is in a state of unrest being tossed to and fro with the waves. But the Bible says in Mark 4 and verse 37, and there arose a great storm of wind and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Verse 38, and he was in the hinder, that's speaking of Christ, and he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep. Jesus is asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said to him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, Christ did, and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. So Peter on this occasion had witnessed his Lord in the middle of a storm, not running from helm to, 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 to deck to, to, to galley, no, but asleep on the hinder part of the ship. Everybody else on the boat's trouble. Everybody else on the boat is frantic. And we're talking about fishermen who know what the sea can come to, thinking that they're going to perish. Boat's being lifted and it's being dropped by the waves. But Jesus, while they're running around, is asleep. And he's awake by them and he commands peace then to the chaos and the storm that's going on. I don't know this for a fact, but I think it could have some bearing on Peter. And Peter must have noticed something in that moment. He must have noticed that Jesus was at peace and sleeping whenever his environment around him even didn't have any peace. Jesus was at peace when everything around him was not. Jesus, if you will, was in the cushion of the sea. I think that's one thing that may have uh, lent then Peter on the night before his crucifix to be there asleep between two soldiers knowing the next day he's going to die. He said, hey, I've seen this before. I've seen my Lord at rest when everything around him was in chaos. There's, the peace of God can bring that, can aid that, can be that. But greater even than witnessing that in the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe what was the game changer for Peter was this, is that Peter received his own peace of God on the day of Pentecost. On that day when he received the gift of the Holy Ghost, that Holy Ghost brought with it, we're talking about a gift of the Spirit, that Holy Ghost brought with it, or the fruit of the Spirit rather, that Holy Ghost brought with it the peace that comes with it. 
Before this day, he's cutting off the ears of people that's going to take his Lord. Before this day, he's saying, Lord, you're not going to die. That's far from you. He's dissuading all the conflict that's going to come. But after that day, he's asleep between his own people that may be executing him the very next day. He's at peace in his own predicament. Why? Because he had got the Spirit of God, which comes the peace of God. Seeing Jesus at peace on his boat, he says, I can be at peace in my storm because the same Spirit that he had, I have. And I can be at peace because of the unfilling the power of the Holy Ghost. Someone say amen. amen. Got a few scriptures here this morning in a row that I want to read to you. And I want to point out just a couple of phrases. We'll sum a few of these things up. Romans 3 and 17. The Bible says, the way of peace have they not known. Everybody say the way of peace. The way of peace. Way of peace. Yes. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. Everybody say, peace in God. Peace in God. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Everybody say, peace of God. So we talk about the way of peace, the peace in God, the peace of God. Philippians 4, 7 bears this out yet again. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, say peace of God. Peace of God. Peace of God. Romans 5 and verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Everybody say peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and verse 14. For he, speaking of God, is our peace. Everybody say, God our peace. God our peace. God our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall partition between us. Paul makes it clear in the first verse that I read to you in Romans 3.17. He makes it clear he's speaking to the church at Rome. He is speaking to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And he's basically saying, no one I don't care who you are, Jew or Gentile, no one knows the way of peace because peace is in God. And to have the peace of God, we must have peace with God. And when that happens, God is our peace. It's right there in the scripture. It's the story of peace. Me and myself as a human, I know not the way of peace because peace is in God. And I can receive the peace of God when I get peace with God, then God becomes my peace. Amen. You heard the story? People on their deathbeds and the question, have you made peace with God? You know what they're asking them? You know what they're asking them? You don't know the way of peace. Peace is in God. And in order for you to have the peace of God, you need to make peace with God. And when you make peace with God, He will become your peace. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. The word peace that we use in our text of Galatians 5 comes from its verb counterpart, which means to join or bind together that which has been separated. It's a literal picture of the binding or the joining together. Again, that which has been separated or divided. So it sets these things at one again to make complete to make whole this is the true story of true peace Peter had comfort 
in a situation that by human standards would have been very unnerving between those two men waiting for his crucifix would have been very nerving. But he was bound and he was joined, if I might say, to God by the Holy Ghost. And because he had the Spirit of God and was bound to God and joined to God by the Holy Ghost, we see what he had, peace. He was bound or joined together, something that if formerly mankind had been separated from or divided from. He was whole, might I say. He was complete in God. And there's no, nothing external that could separate him or subtract that wholeness from him. His ultimate peace was then this. He had reconciled his life yeah. with God. See, since the beginning in Genesis, peace for mankind has been interrupted. If it means a joining or a binding together, something that has been divided, and that is the definition of peace, then I guess the division would be the opposite of peace. And so in the garden for mankind with Adam and Eve, peace had been interrupted because ever since Adam and Eve, they have become separated, estranged from God. Due to sin, of course, that was committed in the garden. Due then, from then, even into now, all of us born into sin. So we are born not in harmony. We're born not in peace. That is our state. But whenever God came down in the form of a man named Christ Jesus, he made, listen to me, the Bible says, both one. What one? He took humanity and he took God and made them one. This had not been the case since the Garden of Eden, since the sweet fellowship between Adam and Eve and God. But in the man, Christ Jesus, who was fully God and fully man, he made both one. He had joined God with man and man with God. In Christ Jesus, he made them one. And in that one person, God was bound and joined to something that had been separated for generations. Separated from man. Amen. And here's the awesome thing though. Through Christ, he granted you and I the very same victory by what he did by coming down. Amen. Because he who knew no sin became sin. Sin was the separator. Sin was the separator. And Jesus assumed that sin in his own person. Yet the Bible says he abolished his flesh with the enmity thereof on the cross of Calvary. So if we can somehow, this is the the fruit of the Spirit, if we can somehow mirror the life of Jesus, because the life of Jesus, human and God, together, they're made one. That's called peace. If we can somehow mirror the life of Jesus, then we likewise can have peace. But what Jesus did to solidify that peace was to make sure the flesh was on the cross. I know we've said this in past weeks, folks, that the, 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 where we are successful with the fruit of the Spirit is keeping the old man nailed to the tree because we live in such a life. These are human bodies. These are fleshly bodies. But we got a perfect, everlasting spirit if we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost living inside of us. So we have this, if you will, God and man thing together. But it will only be successful if we keep the old man on the tree. Will there be completeness? 
Will there be wholeness? Will there be peace? Amen. Someone say amen. amen. The Bible says, if you look at it again, Ephesians 2 and verse 14, for he is our peace. God is. Jesus is. Who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. So again, peace is not so much a state of mind, a state of circumstances, a feeling of commitment, or a feeling of contentment, rather, as much as it is a healed relationship with God. Galatians 5.24 in our setting that we've read from every week, and they that are Christ, that belong to Christ, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. Due to the first family, every person, no matter who we are, every person, whether they've had a relationship with God or not, every person, everybody say every person. Every person entered this life with a broken relationship with God. Regardless of who we are, we entered this life with a broken relationship with God. And when our relationship with God is broken, we have no peace, not the peace of God. But whenever it's healed, whenever it's healed, we have the peace of God. You know what I find out? When my relationship with God gets healed, I can find out that I can get healing in other relationships in my life as well. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, known scripture, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, Bible thumpers for generations always want to concentrate upon the holiness aspect of this verse. Scripture says that without which no man shall see the Lord without which the which it's speaking of is not just holiness but peace no man shall see the Lord if we don't follow peace with all men so bears to question how do you follow peace that's what it says it says follow peace that's the command it's an imperative follow peace well how do you follow peace Again, peace is more than a concept. It's more than an idea. In our study, the peace of God, it is a person. As you follow peace or as you follow God and you stay joined and bound to God, you can walk or you can follow peace with all men. You two are just, oh, you're probably, I don't know if you're balanced. We'll just come. Brother Pat... Wake up, Brother Pat. Come on. Let's go. Help me out. Bishop. Go out there in front of me, Bishop. Go out there in front of me. That's, that's, that's peace. Peace is a person. That's God. If I will follow peace... I can follow peace with men. You hearing me? Uh-huh. 
I follow peace with men. But if I'm not following peace, I might not be in step with my mankind. But if I'll follow peace, I can follow peace with men. So not only do I have a joined and, and, and together healed relationship with God, it causes me to have joined and healed relationships with mankind. We, does someone understand what I'm saying? And you may be seated. And the Bible says, no man though can see God unless we are following peace. Because as we follow God and stay joined to God, it doesn't matter if the person is cantankerous, hard to deal with. You hear what I'm saying? As they may be. If you follow peace, you can walk with mankind. And whenever they look at you then, when they look at you, since you and God are bound, since you and God are joined together, since you're at peace, they'll be able to see God, because there's a lot of us in our own right mind know that we can't believe some people endure us sometimes the way that we are. Okay, you don't want to be honest, that's fine. Let me say it like this. We all have times we're a little bit hard to deal with. And we're kind of bad. Sometimes we act the way we do because we don't want anybody dealing with us. I'm serious. Sometimes people act the way they do because they don't want anybody. In their life, they're pushing everybody out. They're acting like that, hoping then that they'll get what they're asking for. Yes. Don't want to be bothered. Don't want to. And so we all have those times. But whenever there's a person that sticks with it, and they're with you, you know what they're saying? God's got to be in this equation somewhere. I'm telling you right now, because I know them in their own human nature would not be able to do that. So see, people will not see God if you're not following peace, the Prince of Peace, the God of Peace. And look with me, if you will, this morning there in Hebrews 12. I believe the next few verses here are very important to this one verse. I know we just read that one verse and we stop, but there's just a colon there at the end of the sentence. There's a whole lot more to the subject matter here of Hebrews 12 and verse number 14. Look at these verses. I think they're very important because the thought process is not finished here yet. He continues in verse number 15. Follow. Let me start at verse 14 again. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail the grace of God. Now this is, this is telling you what these men that will not see God if you don't follow them with peace and holiness looks what's happening. They're looking diligently. Look now. This man is looking diligently and here's some of the things that he's looking diligently at our lives concerning. What might they see if they look at our lives? It says there's a possibility this person may see men fall from grace. Look, you're looking at verse 15. They may see that some men are being defiled by the troubles in their life and becoming bitter over them. You see it there before you? They're they're seeing in verse number 16, they're going on with the thought process, they might see men fornicating or they may see men like Esau who traded the gratification for the moment for the gratification for eternity. Someone listen to what I'm saying? And so whenever they're looking diligently, there's some of these things that they could possibly see. But here's the big thing. Here's the big thing in these matters. Whenever men become separated from God, which is the very opposite of the definition of peace. For instance, whenever Esau, the Bible says he found no place of repentance, estranged from God, separated from God. 
No peace then that other men could see. He did not make things right between him and God. They remained separated, therefore they remained not at peace. People are looking diligently to see if this peace is more than just a peripheral thing. They need to see God, and they need to experience God, and they need to have a relationship with God for themselves. Amen. Someone say for themselves. But you've got to follow men with peace lest they see someone fornicating, lest they see someone troubled by the trouble and become bitter, lest, 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 lest. They're looking diligently. Other men are looking diligently at our lives. Here's how it works. Maybe this will cause you to grab a hold of it. Have you ever seen a new product come out, but you weren't going to be the first one to try the new product no matter how good it appeared, but you would much rather wait till somebody else you knew got the product use the product this is kind of like the guinea pig for you test out the product and you kind of ask them what do you think about that how's that going and what you really want to know how good it is whether or not you're going to buy the product based upon their experience with the product men are looking diligently listen looking diligently at our lives they see god they've heard about this christ they've heard about this new birth experience they've heard about how life's supposed to be but you know what? I'm not going to be the first one to jump in the water. I'll wait for Terry to McGee to jump in the water. And then I'll look at his life, and I'll see what he thinks about how his relationship is with this thing. And if it appears to be like there's peace, it's good, then I might buy into that. Is someone hearing what I'm talking about? But if you don't join your, you say you got the product, but you're not joined to it, you're not married to it, uh-huh, and there isn't no peace, then they can't see God. Everybody doing all right? Is anybody getting nervous because it's snowing outside? Is everybody okay? So they're looking diligently. What am I going to see? Am I going to see a person that can stay the course? through the time that life is in upheaval because they supposedly have God? Or is it going to be just like I am right now without God? They're looking diligently. Is this person going to be faithful to their spouse? Or is it elsewhere? Is this, does anybody get what I'm talking about right now? We follow, all, we follow peace with men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. They're looking diligently. They're, they're, they're sizing it up. They, are not, they, they have not been the ones to go out there into the water by themselves. They want to see you go out there and they want to see if there's any notable difference or if there's any appearance, if you will, of God. And so we got to be joined to God, fastened to God, not separated but in one with God so that we, through our lives, might show Christ to somebody else. Someone say Amen. But again, we come to this idea. How can you follow peace, though? Well, consider, consider these verses this morning. And I, I'm hastening to a close. Trying. I'm trying to hasten to a close. Romans 8 and 6. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually, everybody say spiritually. Talking about the fruit of the Spirit here, to be spiritually minded is life 
and peace. How can you follow peace? Paul said it again and again in Galatians 5. He just said it different ways. He said in one place, he said, be led by the Spirit. He said another place there, he said, live in the Spirit. He said another place there, walk in the Spirit. But how? Philippians 4, 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received. We've heard this more than once the past few weeks. And heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you how do we follow peace do the things you've learned you've received and you see done by the examples of those that are imitating Christ do everybody say do someone say do Therein lies the great difference in following and not following peace. You can know about the things you've heard or the things you've received or the things that you have seen others do. You can have an affection toward the things you've heard and seen. You can have desires and wishes about the things you've heard and you've seen. But the writer says when you do them, says you'll have the peace of God and it'll be with you when you do them. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 also say this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, by say prayer, prayer. and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In other words, the Living Bible translation says it like this, and maybe garners just a little more understanding. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs, and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. If you do this, do what? If you pray, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. What I'm saying this morning is, how do we follow this peace of God? Well, Philippians right here tells me that the peace of God is a byproduct of prayer. Yes, it is. That's true. The peace of God is a byproduct of prayer. Don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. Take it to God in prayer. And when you do this, you'll have the peace of God. The peace of God is a byproduct of prayer. Why? Because prayer is a venue in a way that we guard and maintain our relationship that joined as one. Relationship with God. And he says, you'll experience God's peace will, which will exceed anything we can understand and transcends all human understanding. Peace of God. Prayer? Are you serious? How do we follow peace? Pray. There's one way that you can follow peace. Get real. I wish it was that simple. Let me tell you something. If you not tried it, don't knock it unless you tried it. Because I couldn't even count the days on my hands and toes that life was not what it needed to be. And I went to my closet of prayer. I was shook. I was troubled. But I went to my closet of prayer. And I kneeled down. And I began to talk God about it. And whenever I got up from there, I left something there. And there was a load that was lifted. And I wasn't anxious. 
And I wasn't under no type of panic. And was, was it all gone? No, it was still there. But there was a cushion of the seed that I had found through that time of intercourse and prayer and relationship with God. I left from there. The trouble was still there. The money maybe still wasn't there. All those dooming things were still there. But you know what? I had the peace of God rather than the peace of this world. And I could walk through life with confidence in knowing who I served and who I was joined and bound with. So don't knock it unless you've tried it. People are searching for peace. Others are trying to manufacture peace. The Bible says it's ours. One way to cultivate that and continue following that is just spend some time in prayer. In order to do that, you've got to disconnect from everything else and connect. Amen with him. A relationship with the Lord. If you'll stand with me today, I'll close. Because if you really just make sense of it and think about it, this is the start of our quest in our relationship with God. I don't know. I don't know if it's even possible. But if you're going to repent, by and large, that is a mode of prayer. So our quest in this journey of becoming one again with God from that which was divided in the garden, that's where, that's where the birthplace of it all starts with repentance, or if you will, prayer. And so the same thing that starts this restoration is the thing that will help maintain that relationship and that restoration and as we know then the scriptures that I shared again none of us know the way of peace right but peace is in God and peace is of God in order for us to have the peace of God we must make peace with God and then God will become your All of fruit. One of those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And so this morning, the peace that He has and gives is not like the, what the world gives. No. That is not the peace of God. It's the peace of the world. I'm not negating that there isn't some type of peace there, but it's not in no means the same even remotely as the peace of God because everyday life peace many times it goes with the circumstances if they're absent peace if they're there but with God there or absent you can still find the peace because again peace is not just some idea or concept it is a person in your relationship with that person the relationship with God your relationship with God, being bound, forged, and joined to Him. We bow our heads this morning. This altar. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.